Hello. Welcome to The Plot Thickens with me, Ellie Griffiths. You might know me as the author of the Dr Ruth Galloway books and the Brighton Mysteries. This is a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of crime writing. From what it's really like to be a published author, to the intricacies of our research, to just how we think up those killer twists. Each episode, I'm welcoming an expert guest to lift the curtain on everything you want to know about the world of crime fiction. For those of you who've read my Ruth Galloway books, there'll be lots of behind-the-scenes details on the characters, settings and history. But if you haven't come to them yet, we'll make sure to flag any spoilers, and there'll still be plenty to enjoy. This week, we have Lindsay Harvey to talk all things bones. Lindsay is an osteologist, human bone specialist, and an archaeologist who helps me with my research for the Dr Ruth Galloway books. Well, I am very excited today. And not only me, but it seems that everyone at Quercus Towers has been really excited by this as well, because I'm joined in the studio by my archaeology expert, my bones expert, Lindsay Harvey. Lindsay, thanks so much for coming in. Oh, you're very welcome. It's lovely to see you. So could you tell me, you, you're, an, you're an expert on bones, you're an archaeologist. Could you tell me a little bit about what you do and how you got into doing it? Oh, well, I fell in love with archaeology at a very young age uh, for some reason, Um, just an immediate love of Oh, how young? (laughs) I guess uh, I was probably about 10 and we went on a trip to the British Museum and from then on, I, you know, I walked through these galleries of uh, Egyptian artefacts and, um, you know, just all these extraordinary objects uh, and I thought, wow, this is something that that people do as a job and then I was hooked and that's what I wanted to do. It's fantastic. So did you study archaeology? How did you get into it? You studied archaeology at university? Yeah, so I actually started a bit before that. Um, On my year 10 work experience, (laughs) I found a unit, um, a commercial unit in Southampton that was very happy to uh, you know, let me do work experience there for two weeks. So I did that, and um, the rest, as they say, is history. Because, so you'd have been about fifteen. Yeah, then. that's How right. Fantastic. Yeah. So it was brilliant. You know, I went out on site. I processed artifacts uh, from digs in Southampton and uh, Hampshire, and uh, I went back and worked there uh, part time throughout my A levels, and then eventually I went to university to study archaeological science, which at Sheffield University. Fantastic. And when did you sort of specialise in bones? Well, quite early on, as soon as I could take modules in things like osteology, um, I did. I, I really have always enjoyed uh, looking at skeletons um, and learning about them and how fascinating they are and, you know, what the things you can kind of learn from looking at bones. Uh, so I, you know, I took the modules, then I did a master's in paleoanthropology in which biology had a, had a big role in that. Uh, and then, um, then I worked as an osteologist for various commercial units. Fantastic, because you worked at the... Natural History Museum, is that right? Yeah. Tell sometime, me a bit about that. Yeah, I worked as um, uh, an assistant curator for osteology, sorry, for anthropology and um, fossil mammals. So I was responsible for some national collections uh, looking after these incredible uh, items um, in the anthropology collections and in the fossil mammal collections. Wow. 
And I think you might have told me once that at the Natural History Museum, you're the first port of call if somebody finds a bone they don't know what it is and they bring it into. Is that right? Well, I think that happens a lot in museums. You know, quite often people will find um, bones or bone fragments in gardens. The police will find them occasionally and they'll they'll bring them in sometimes in uh, evidence bags, you know, saying, you know, is this uh, is this human? And I think that happens sort of everywhere that you, you might encounter um, any kind of uh, artefacts in the ground. Local museums and other museums are sometimes the first port of call for for people wanting to know more most of the time in my experience it, it turns out to be you know uh, cow or <laughs> and is that fair i'm sorry if this is a very you know um ignorant question but is it is it really easy to tell you know that it's an animal bone yeah i i think so if you've got most of a bone um usually you can tell what it is fairly quickly on examining it it's much harder to do from photographs so quite often people will send you photographs I of... think I've done that when I've been on walks <laughs> taking pictures <laughs> yeah um, we'll send you, you know what what's this bone and unfortunately in every case that anyone's ever sent me a picture of a bone it's always you know it's a pig bone or a, a sheep tooth or something like yes. that yes well, would be quite shocking if you looked at that photograph which somebody happily put on twitter and thought oh that is a human arm <laughs> yeah i don't think that's ever happened <laughs> but yeah <laughs> so just thinking back to where i was trying to think when we first met mm. and i'm pretty sure it was in brighton museum And uh, my husband, Andy, was then the archaeology curator at Brighton Museum. And I think they had like an open day or something. And I my memory is of you standing by a skeleton. Is that what you remember? Yeah, that's exactly it. I was working for a company called Archaeology Southeast at the time, uh, who have an office in Portslade, so near Brighton. Uh, and I think it was an open day. It was some sort of outreachy thing. We've done quite a lot of those in my life where you stand by a table with a selection of interesting things and you, you tell people about them. And in this case, I think there must have been either a skeleton or some artefacts or something that we were talking about. And then I think you uh, took my email address and said that you would be getting in touch. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think that's exactly it. I remember the den. I remember going along with my kids who were quite young then. And of course, where do they want to go? They want to go to the bones table. But I remember talking to you and thinking, oh, I would love to ask her advice and just knowing that you'd be a good person to ask <laughs> advice. And some people often ask me because knowing that Andy's an archaeologist and, and there's no doubt that that's been a big influence on me. You know, it's him studying archaeology that made me interested in, in having an archaeologist protagonist. But I have to say I don't consult him on the books. And um, partly that's so that our marriage still runs, you know, smoothly. But I think because he would be the sort of person to say, I'd say, could this happen? And he'd say, nope. And that would be the end of it. So I sort of knew instinctively that you wouldn't be like that, Lindsay, and you are not. So what we were trying to think just now, weren't we? What was the first thing I asked you about? And it might have been cannibalism. Yes, I think it was. Um, the first email you sent me, I believe, uh, asked if you could feel pot polish on bones uh, and if, if that was a sign of cannibalism or could it yes. could it be? Um, and that gave me, uh, I like research, so it gave me a good opportunity to sit down and think, what are the things you could, you know, really could identify cannibalism in the sort of archaeological record? And 
uh, in the end, I think I said, yeah, pot polish is definitely, you know, something. The bones braid against the sides of a, of a cooking vessel and they become very smooth, so you can feel it. Um, but you'd also maybe look for other things like um, uh, bones that had been cracked apart uh, to get at the marrow or, you know, small nicks on the bones which might indicate butchery and that kind of thing. Yeah, and that must have been for the chalk pit um, yes. where uh, Ruth finds these bones and thinks there is some evidence of cannibalism. And I think this is the trouble with um, non-experts is I'd, I'd probably heard about pot polish and I think, oh, how exciting. And uh, I asked you about it. And instead of saying, that's not enough, no, you said, well, actually, what if there were some other things? And that made it a better story, really, if there were some other indications. Um, and I asked, also asked you about a tattoo, didn't I? Yes, I think one of the other ones, uh, you, yeah, you emailed about uh, was whether it would be possible to identify a, a tattoo uh, from skeletal remains. And I had a good think about it and I couldn't think of any way you you could really directly no. do that. Um, but I think maybe we talked about whether, you know, a really badly infected tattoo yes. could get a sort of uh, a bone reaction, get a, an infective um, reaction, and then you'd have some periosteal um, signs of an infection. So I think I used that for a short story, actually. The idea of like um, a sort of home-done tattoo that went wrong, mm-hmm. that could that could show yeah. on on the on the bone isn't that exciting that that could show on the bone it what what else, is there anything else that would show on the bone that you wouldn't necessarily think well that's a big question <laughs> No, I can't. I can't think of anything exactly like that, and I, I'm not sure tattoos would really unless they went really that. badly wrong. And yeah, there's some would... sort of yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean that's fiction. <laughs> but that's my... okay because you yes, know, yes, that's the fun of uh, reading books, and you know that's the fun of fiction, isn't it? That you can take elements of, you know, this exciting science. Um, and enhance it. Yes, well, thank you. And I think it's that lovely attitude of yours that, that makes it a pleasure to work with you. And I do remember one I really like was, I think it was, um, oh, it was the Nighthawks. And uh, there's a body of a dog in this. And I sent you, because sometimes I ask you sort of, I'm just thinking of the idea. Sometimes yeah. I've written it, haven't I? Yeah. And then I'll send you the bit and I'll say, what do you think? And I remember you said... Uh, I'm not sure that even Ruth could identify a nasal bone of a dog. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there are some people out there that can, but I think if that was the first thing I saw in the ground, I wouldn't know exactly what that was. Nasal bone, I don't know what what came over (laughs) me that I thought that would be a good thing to say. So, yeah, you saved me from that. I mean, as an expert, because bones appear quite often on television, don't they? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that really annoys you about the way, (laughs) like way a skeleton's shown or the way... (laughs) Yes. I mean, you know, I I am the person that will sort of pause the TV to get a better look Excellent. at the, yes. the skeleton as it's as it's laid out in the ground. And quite often um there'll be things like the the bones are, you know, in the wrong way round or upside down. Oh wow. Um and things like that that I mean, they're not important, but they're they're fun to point out. Um but I suppose I suppose the thing that mostly annoys me is skeletons being positioned in such a way so there's no movement so the the skeleton is exactly articulated as it would be it's in anatomical position oh, everything is so they correctly. find a skeleton yeah. in the ground and it is laid out like like um like a medical student's prop yes because most of them are you know because they're already yes. they're, they're, the hands are all wired together and things like yes. that and the, the so everything looks 
very much like it's a wired together skeleton and that that always makes me laugh when I see it because of course a real skeleton will sink and things will change over time I mean it still obviously looks uh, in the, the the right positioning but um, yeah sometimes you can see the wires in skeletons oh you wow can, <laughs> that's, that's well I suppose that doesn't make sense they're not actually digging up a dead body but you think they might make a bit of a, an effort to to jumble things up a bit wouldn't you uh, yeah it's just it's just funny yeah this is a Again, it's one of those things that is not too too annoying, but it is funny to see yes. um, when there's a, oh, this is a skeleton of, of somebody who's who's died. And you think, well, maybe it was, but they certainly look like a sort of anatomical teaching skeleton <laughs> before they did. Yeah, because, I mean, in real life, you know, it might, it might, you know, animals might take some of the bones away, might they, and they might move it, yeah, it, that in happens the ground. A lot. And... Sort of taphonomy is something that doesn't make oh, an tell, appearance. Tell me what that means. Well, just sort of like what happens uh, to something after it gets buried. Right. So you might indeed, you know, you might find scavenging from, animals elements might move away it's very rare that you're going to find if a body's uh, sort of you know it's very rare for a body to be uh, undisturbed yes so you'll always have sort of animal gnawing or you know the wind when decomposition takes place eventually some elements will start moving things will be you know eaten that kind of, that kind of thing so the very rarely as they were when they dropped down basically that, and it's so interesting. In fact, I've got a little something after this to ask your advice on, on Ruth 15. But uh, when my editor saw the manuscript, I put something about the bones moving after death. And she said, bones can't move after death. Mm. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure they can because mm. of the thing that, that you said about, you know, earth can move, can't the animals can move them away? Yeah, and... I, I think the only time that you would have no movement at all, and even then you'd probably still get a bit, uh, is in a in a coffin in a sealed kind of environment. Yeah, so sort of wrapped up. Yeah. I'm doing the, the wrapped up <laughs> gesture. You can't see it, but I'm doing it. Um, but no, it's something that's outside um, would certainly, you know, have some kind of movement happening eventually. Um, because, of course, when decomposition sets in, soft tissues um, stop holding everything together and bones can be carried off all you see, see, it can happen. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it can. <laughs> it's, it's, it so, <laughs> it's so interesting, isn't it? Do you think that people are more interested than they used to be in this sort of thing in forensics and bones and... Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think people have a real, you know, interest in it. And if I ever say I'm an archaeologist, um, it's, you know, immediately everyone is very interested and they want to know what that's about and ask about, you know, you, always what's the most exciting thing you've ever found. Um, what <laughs> is the most exciting thing you've ever found, Lindsay? <laughs> well, <laughs> I found, I mean, amazing, lots of different things over the course of my, you know, career. I've I've worked on um, urban sites and rural sites from prehistoric to kind of, you know, post-medieval. And there's always something that's interesting. There's always something fascinating, even if it's a very ordinary piece of pottery. Sometimes they can be, you know, super interesting. It can be a paw print in a brick, you know, it's oh, I love that, that kind of thing. You see that. And that, that connection to the past is, you know, one of the things I love about it. I love looking at an object and being the first person to hold it in a, a thousand years or something, even if it's very ordinary yes, sort of yes. artifact. Um I mean, I wish I could tell you that I'd found exciting gold and things like that. But unfortunately, I'm always the person that doesn't find gold. <laughs> I'm always the person next to the person finding it. So um, I've yet to have that yet. But I know I think that's, I think, a paw print or a fingerprint in something yeah. is more exciting than gold. Yeah. I have to say that when Andy and I walk over the downs, sometimes he bends down, he picks up something, he says, whoa, look at this flint. Um, it must be from a from a Neolithic axe or something. I think, wow. And then I find what looks like an identical bit of flint and I'm like, look. 
work and he says no that's rubbish and chucks it away so <laughs> it's always like that whenever I've done sort of outreach with uh, classes of children visiting sites and things like that um, you say you, you know set them free on the spoil heaps and say see if you can find anything that's yes. you know been and, and children will just come back with stones and say what about this and you say well it's a, it's a good stone but uh, no that, that one's not you know whatever it happens to be that they think it might be um, and that's it but it's fun you know it's the 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 fun of looking for things. And, and it's great to get children excited and interested in that, isn't it? I yeah. think that's really... Children love archaeology. They, and they, I did some uh, outreach on um, uh, with schools in uh, Yorkshire um, as part of a sort of STEM ambassador thing many moons ago um, and went, would go into classrooms with a plastic teaching skeleton and some artefacts and sort of talk about it. And children just absolutely love it. They're so interested. They want to know everything about... Uh, you know, uh, your skeleton and, and what it can tell you and things like that. Uh, I think, and that's why it's so popular, I suppose. It's a sort of imagination and kids but are really But it's imagination and it's real connection, isn't yeah. it? And and you find you can actually touch... The, the thought that you could touch something that hadn't been touched yeah. for that long is, is just incredible. Do you know what I did recently? I went down the... Um, Flint mines at Grimes Graves. Have, yeah, have you done that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've been oh. down there with the axes still left. Oh, it's Aren't just incredible. So uh, I'm going to explain what they are, though. In front of an archaeologist, I would probably get this wrong, but Grimes Graves is in Thetford in Norfolk, and they are Neolithic flint mines. And if you go there, it's amazing, isn't it? Because there's this, it's it's just a field, but if you were to look at it from an aerial position, it's got these sort of strange pockmarks, almost like a big golf ball. And every one of these sort of, undulations is a shaft that was dug by these stone age miners with just they would have just had antlers wouldn't they and and picks yeah antler picks so we're using antlers uh to uh yeah excavate which is really exciting when they excavated the site and i'm sure there have been lots of excavations but the sort of early 20th century ones they found so many of these antler picks that they basically sent some to every museum in the country oh wow Uh, and when i was at the natural history museum I, i had the privilege of seeing some of them conserved um and you know nicely boxed and things like that um they were all from these sort of of, you know, 1914, 1911 or something, excavations yes. uh, down there. Yes. But they just had so many. They had hundreds and hundreds of these antler picks. Yes, they and there were these kind of, uh, um, was it called Greenhouse? Or so, I can't remember the name of, of the guy who first excavated them, but he was on in 1920, wasn't it? And he was quite, because he kind of did, it wasn't, the first person to go down there, but he did the sort of longest shaft. And he was quite clever, I think, in knowing what it was, really. But it's amazing to think they went down there and they mined this this flint and they got it back up to the surface and then they filled it in it's really did you go into what so we went down into this uh down this, this ladder into into one of the shafts and it's shown around by this this great volunteer uh called tim hi tim and he said oh and we saw these sort of tunnels going off and they were held up by antlers and I thought, they look scary. I'm glad we're not going in one of those. And Tim said, do you want to go into one of those tunnels? And we did. We crawled along there. They're called galleries, aren't they? And it's just an incredible experience, isn't it? Yeah, again, it was years ago that I last went there. Um, but I went as part of a sort of flint napping weekend where I learned to flint nap with, oh, uh, yes. with a guy called John Lord, who's incredible. He's famous, incredible. isn't he? They were yeah, talked about him. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, that was it was a good weekend. <laughs> yes. And, and, fl- and just explain what flint napping is. Uh, so it's where you sort of reduce um, a nodule of flint to be useful, to turn it into a hand axe or to turn it into any number of flint tools that you can use to do things. And you can do amazing things. Like I've mm. seen um, Matt Pope, who, who you know, yeah, don't you, yeah. from, from Sussex Archaeology. I've seen him demonstrate how you can skin a deer with yeah. one. Oh, they're, they're incredible. They're so sharp. Um, there's all sorts of those sort of anecdotes. You know, there. Are, I think there was a, an archaeologist in, in America somewhere who um, needed to get some uh, moles removed and he he, no. napped, he napped his own <laughs> uh, flint blades to take to his surgeon and apparently they worked really well. So they used them like a scalpel yeah. for surgery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, a, I think, an experimental thing from an experimental archaeologist, but apparently they worked really well. So <laughs> My yeah, I mean, goodness. They're, they're very useful things. Yeah. And and flint, I've got to say, from a crime minder's point of view, is a very useful weapon, isn't it? Because you can <laughs> you can use it and then just throw it away and it's just another stone on the beach or another stone somewhere. So pretty sure I might have written a story called Just Another Stone on the Beach. But that sort of thing, yes. I mean, it is. So do you um, like crime fiction? Do you like watching crime on TV? Oh, yeah. I, I love I love watching it. Like I say, I enjoy watching the skeletons and critiquing yes. them. Um but yeah, I, 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 it's a it's a genre I enjoy. Yes, I, I shouldn't ask you this, but you know, um, when you meet Ruth in the books, is she a recognisable sort of archaeologist? Do you think? Please say yes. Yeah, I, I think so, and I, I think she's a really sort of sympathetic and enjoyable character to to read and because there's occasionally you know times where I've I've um, sort of informed some of the things that you're writing yes. about it's so fun for me to read the books oh, and good. pick out bits where I think oh I, I, I think I inspired yes, that line. Yes you definitely do. <laughs> when you read something that sounds real you think yeah no I, I told her that. It's funny because um, I think from when I met you um, I, I'd had advice from other archaeologists before and but when I met you there's a lot more about bones that I can date the books from when I met you and uh, <laughs> I was yeah. saying earlier on that I can also date them from when I met Graham Bartlett, who advises me on the police procedure. So I think until I met Graham, which is, I think, book three, there's a bit of vague police wandering around doing things. And suddenly, when I knew Graham, it's like the police filled out form B1262 and, the, you know, and they, they all uh, have, proper, have proper ranks and it all makes a bit more sense from the, from the moment I met. But Graham's really good because, like you, I will ask him a question and he won't say, no, that will never happen. Mm. But he will say, well, hmm, yeah, that, that's a bit unusual, but I, he might say something like, it's a bit unusual, but I can see Nelson doing that, let's work on that. Or he might say, well, yeah, maybe, but try. what about if this happened? And it's often better, you know, when when, when he says that. So he's like you, he's a, he's a very good expert, a very kind expert. Um, let's talk about graveyards, because you love a graveyard, don't you? Oh, yeah, I absolutely love graveyards. <laughs> I spend... Uh, quite a lot of time in them, uh, much to the you know dismay of my husband. Just saying earlier that I lived uh, next door to West Norwood Cemetery um, a few years ago, and uh, it's one of the big seven. It's a lovely um, Victorian cemetery. And during lockdown, it's where me and my then very small uh, son spent most of our time. You know, we that's where we would go for our walk every day. Um, my son grew up there, <laughs> sort of, you know, learning to walk amongst gravestones and that kind of thing, because I find them really fascinating places obviously from 
you know, it's it's the sort of career I've chosen to be around old dead things and that's you know something I like yeah so I, I really enjoy them they're full of stories aren't they yeah. I totally agree I love graveyards and we were just chatting about taking our children to graveyards yeah. well there's a little village near me in, in I live just outside Brighton and there's a village called um, Telscombe Village have you ever been to Telscombe Village oh well next time in Brighton I'll take you there because you can only get there by walking so you can walk um, from Salt Dean where I live there and it's a really little village um, my brother-in-law who has been married to my sister for more than 40 years has never been there on the grounds that it doesn't have a pub and it doesn't have a pub so I'm sorry about that but it has a lovely church and graveyard and my kids um, I've got twins who are now 24 but they, they were going there when they were quite young they said they learned subtraction through working out on the gravestones how old people were when they died so you know it's quite and there's a really tragic little thing where um, we worked out that this uh, little little boy had died sort of a, um, very young, sort of about two. And um, and the next grave is of his mother and it just says on the bottom, I am coming. And the, the, the other sort of strange bit, if you were telling the story, is right the other side of the graveyard is what was obviously the dad. Um, but he lived a long time afterwards. So who knows? And maybe he just couldn't get a grave near them, but he didn't go on the same grave. So, so many questions there, aren't there? Do you find a lot of inspiration walking around places like that? I really do. I find lots of inspiration. It's full of stories. I think it's a rare Ruth book that doesn't have, I'm afraid there are quite a few funerals in the books, but they quite often visit visit a graveyard and names as well, because you can get great names from graves. I think, I think. Dickens got Ebenezer Scrooge from a graveyard. And I have a feeling it was a graveyard in near Brighton. I might have to double check that. But, you know, sometimes names are really hard. And if you go and look at a gravestone, it can often give you a really good name. Local names as well. Just been talking to Anne Cleves and she was saying that um, Anne Cleves is, is another guest on the podcast, uh, Vera author. And she said that she always tries to get local names for her characters. But where do you get local names? Local graveyard. Right, that's a good hint. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. It's quite good. So tell me a little bit about the work you're doing now, Lindsay. I'm a researcher for Oxford Archaeology, uh, which is one of the um, biggest uh, commercial archaeological units in the country. So essentially I research into um, pieces of land, uh, places, um, to see whether there might be some archaeology there. Uh, so I get to do things like go to archives and dig through Ooh, old records interesting. and things like that. Yeah, it's, it is actually really interesting. And so do, do uh, is is it sometimes where people think there's going to be some some uh development work and you have to see if there's any archaeology there? Yeah, that's the sort of thing that that I do now. So um you know, it's part of the planning process that people might want to find out what's in the garden or you know they you know someone wants to put an extension on but they you know live on a scheduled monument or something like yes, that and they yes. want to uh, find out a bit more about it so I get to um, write reports on that sort of thing which sounds a bit dry now I describe it but no, actually it sounds really you know, there's always a visit you know always a site visit so you go and check out the, the the land and see if you can spot anything interesting you know trips to the archive um, you know research which is just really fascinating and I enjoy and what sort of thing, if you went and looked at the site, would make you think, oh, there might be something buried here? Well, I suppose if you were just looking in a field, you might see lumps and bumps that you, you might want to investigate. Um, you might find earthworks um, that we already know about, but you might see more of them. So you might know that there's, you know, um, uh, sort of prehistoric archaeology or prehistoric landscape, but you might find things that aren't necessarily mentioned you might look at sort of lidar image uh, imagery um or aerial f- 
photography and think, oh, well, I'll go and investigate that strange shape in the corner of the field and see what it is. Um, mostly it won't be too exciting, but, you know, <laughs> you'll go and investigate. But I love the way that you will be able to look at landscape with that new eye, with that different eye, and you'd see it in a different way, whereas we might see, oh, it's a strangely bumpy bit of field, you might think. And is it true, Lindsay? Now, I keep <laughs> quoting this, um, and I don't know who I got it from. Uh, that, that nettles can be the sign of uh, that there's body there or some sort of human interaction. Um, <laughs> hmm. I, I'm not sure. My my guess would be that nettles are probably associated with disturbed ground or ah, interesting. Um, waste ground. So maybe you'd find it, um, you'd find them in areas that have been turned over for some reason. Although I'm not sure there's a specific association between that and a, and a body. Yes. Um, but maybe maybe there is. I don't know. No. Well, I, I, I'm sure I got the idea somewhere. And sometimes it's a bit dangerous to, to let a writer, or probably to let me, uh, know a bit of an idea. Because then I keep sort of thinking, oh, you know, that's so interesting. You know, where's, where's, where's that going to take me? I don't know. Um, but I also, um, have you seen the film? I don't actually I don't know if it's out yet, but there's going to be a film about the discovery of Richard III, you know, behind. And, and do you, were you yes. involved in that at all? Do you know anything about that? <laughs> no, not at all. But I've seen the, the documentary. Yes, and, um, I've know, seen that. Yeah. Yes. It's very interesting uh, sort of uh subject isn't it you know finding the king in the car park kind of idea but. And, and the fact that it was a an amateur um archaeologist or just an amateur historian who thought he might be buried there wasn't it and it's yeah i think so um i'm sure that you know behind that there would have been a lot of research from from archaeologists who had a, a sort of good idea of um what might be there or yes whatever. i'm not sure to be honest no and i remember talking to an archaeology at west dean so i teach creative writing at west dean college and there was an archaeologist there and he said that sometimes those city center car parks you know those little weird bits in a city center that that are sort of between two blocks of flats but that bit's left often where where they think there is something but so they can't build on it but they don't know what it is so they just tarmac it over Oh, <laughs> so I like it. Made me it has made me look at city centres in a different way. I'm sure that happens occasionally. You know, if you think there's a high degree of probability that something's going to be in the ground, you probably don't want to build there. Yes, yes, because <laughs> it costs a lot of money no. potentially to to fully excavate. So perhaps. That's why you should use a car park. <laughs> yes, though, you know, it does stretch. I don't think I could have put in a book that you'd find his head under the R for car park. <laughs> Before we finish up, there's just a couple of other things I want to ask you. And one of them is about Sheffield. So you studied at Sheffield University. Yes. Um, yeah. And Ruth, in, in the new book, in The Last Remains, which is book 15, her university department is under threat of closure. And that did happen to Sheffield, didn't it? Yes, yeah, and I think it's happening to a lot of um, departments at the moment um, in uh, across the UK um, with the threat of closure. Um, but yeah, there was a big campaign. Um, unfortunately, I think Sheffield is still due to close in a few years' time. As and it's far as so I know. shocking because that's a world famous department, isn't it? Yeah, some you know some. Great things happened there. Great people, um, some really you know, sort of famous archaeologists yes. have worked there in the past, um, and it's 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 just a real sad sort of sign of the times, really, that archaeology is potentially not valued as much as it should be. And why do you think that is? 
I don't know. Um, it doesn't make any sense, really. Archaeology, commercial archaeology, um, is in need of archaeologists. We we need more of them because of big infrastructure projects like HS2. Yes, um, you need you need archaeologists on the ground, um, but we don't necessarily value the. Um, departments that are producing them so i'm i'm yes I'm the expertise sure. and the yeah. skills that, that are behind it it's it's a really I've, i find it quite a shocking thing it was partly why i wanted to have this happen to ruth so yeah. to sort of um you know to, to, to shine a light on it really because like you were saying earlier on talking about children loving to do archaeology yeah, do. and loving to find things and it's the study of ordinary people isn't it yeah, um, and I, that's so important. And like I say, you know, um, the best thing I've ever found, uh, it it's always that connection to another human. It's always something simple. The first person, you know, you're the first person in X number of years to pick up something. And it's that connection with just a normal person that was just doing normal human things yes. and the evidence of them is left behind and you, you then encounter it. Um, and so, yeah, it is really, you know, the, the everyday archaeology of everyday people um, which you're reading in the archaeological record. So Yeah, it, it, it's, it would be an awful thing if these, if these departments vanished. I, I remember yeah. in, in Grimes Graves, the thing that, one of the things that I found most moving really was uh, there was um, one of these antler picks and there was tallow on it and they thought they put tallow on to make it sticky to hold and there was a fingerprint in it. Yeah, there, there are quite a few records, I think, from Grimes Graves of fingerprints in like the mud, in the chalk. Um, yes. Sort of on, on picks and things which did didn't survive, you know, when they eventually sort of took them out and uh, took them out to the surface. Obviously, it dried out and everything sort of came off them. But yeah, fingerprints. I mean, amazing, right? That you yeah, can see that. and just a fingerprint, a Neolithic fingerprint. I mean, I find that really exciting. So, thank you so much. This has been so lovely talking to you. Is there anything that Ruth hasn't done that you think she should do? <laughs> I don't know. That's a big question. It is, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. Um, not that I can think of. I am. I am interested to know if um, we're going to see her on our screens, and I can uh, look at the skeletons and see what's oh, going on. Yes. Well, do you know what? If Ruth does make the screen, I will insist. Here I am insisting when it isn't even happening <laughs> that you are our bones expert. We won't have any of those wired together skeletal rubbish. Excellent. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Is it going to happen? Well, the Ruth books have been optioned four times for TV. So, um, and the first time it happens, it's so exciting because, you know, uh, the TV company gets in contact with you and they say, oh, we love your books. And they sort of love bomb you a bit, which I really like, you know. <laughs> oh, you know, they're so great and they'd be so good. And then a couple of times it's gone as far as having a script and it just hasn't made that last commissioning round of getting on TV. So, and I don't know why. I don't know why, because as, as we were saying earlier on I think people are fascinated by archaeology and I and I do think Hope Ruth is a relatable character Norfolk's beautiful um so I don't quite know why it hasn't quite hit the spot but um they've just been optioned again so you know it could still happen you know I would like to see them on screen but yes I think I, I remember the thing that um Andy always gets annoyed about with archaeology is on TV they often do it at night with arc lights mm -hmm. just to make it more exciting why on earth would you do archaeology at night <laughs> well sometimes they do if oh do a, they uh, very occasionally if there's a big project that needs doing um and it, it needs sort of 24 hour yes. archaeology occasionally that will happen you know you'll have everything set up on under a tent and you'll have shifts of archaeologists you know coming in that and, sounds exciting yeah it does happen very occasionally on sort of enormous projects but 
generally speaking, no, I don't think it doesn't happen that often because people, you know, that would cost money and uh, take up a lot of resources. And yes, stuff, so. and you kind of like to see where you're going, you, you, don't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's always best to do things in natural light if you can. <laughs> so I will make sure if they ever do get on TV <laughs> that uh, we get proper archaeology experts and proper skeletons, proper <laughs> bones that you can advise on, Lindsay. There are some very good anatomically correct bones you can pick up. So I think, you you know, uh, teaching skeletons and things that you can get uh, disarticulated so you can you can position them just right. So that's what I would recommend. Do you know, um, I don't know whether I should be saying this, so if it's giving away trade secrets, but I'm a member of the Detection Club. Do you know what the Detection Club is? <laughs> it's, it's a selection, it's a collection of... Um, uh, crime writers who uh, sort of agree to sort of in a kind of jokey way really but they agree to abide by the sort of golden age rules of no coincidences and those sort of things but the fun thing is that you have a sort of initiation ceremony where you swear on a skull and and so Andy and I went along to this ceremony which is really smart it's black tie and out comes a skull that's called Eric so my mistake was bringing Andy who immediately said that's a female skull (laughs) Which so, but you know that that's the thing that uh, an archaeologist would spot immediately, wouldn't they? Yes. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's difficult to just do things from just a skull. But yes, you see, that's where I need you to say. I would have Ruth looking at it across the room and saying, "That's wrong." Need a pelvis and some other things as well. You do need a pelvis and some other things. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It's been lovely to talk to you again, and can't wait to consult you again on bones. Please do. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Plot Thickens this week. It was wonderful to talk to Lindsay, and I'll certainly never think about graveyards in the same way, or nettles come to think of it. In the next episode, I'll be talking to best-selling and award-winning novelist Mick Heron, perhaps best known for his Slough House thrillers. So don't forget to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating or review, or better still, tell a friend about it. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Ellie Griffiths. The 15th and final book in the Dr. Ruth Galloway series is called The Last Remains and it's out on the 31st of January, 2023. You can pre-order it now from all major retailers. This podcast was produced by Dan Jones at Carmelite Studios for Quercus Books and the production coordinator was Hannah Kors.